Welcome, compatriots, to the seventh episode of season two of the Pop Punk Project. I am Keenan. Hello, I am Mike, and I salute my fellow countrymen who are joining us this week. If you're wondering why we're feeling so patriotic this episode, it's because we will be bringing you a little slice of American history. That's right. It's the type of thing our forefathers fought wars over. It's partially the reason this great nation of ours was founded in the first place. It's a true symbol of American freedom, Mike. It's the Offsprings album, Americana. While we'd love to continue with this history lesson, it's about that time, Keenan. Let's grab our muskets and stage dive in. Charge! Americana is The Offspring's fifth studio album. It was released on November 17, 1998 by Columbia Records and was produced by Dave Jordan. The members of the band at the time were Dexter Holland, he's the lead singer and rhythm guitarist, Noodles, who is the lead guitarist and provides backing vocals, Greg Kay, who plays bass, and Ron Welty, the drummer. The album was hugely popular, Keenan. It debuted at number six on the U.S. Billboard 200 and eventually peaked at number two, the highest position for the band at that time and ever. It sold over 175,000 copies in its first week, and shortly after its release, the album was certified gold and later platinum. To this date, it has sold over 10 million copies worldwide. 10 million? 10 million. Million with an M? Seven zeros, million with an M. That's incredible. And also peaked at number two? Yep, number two. <laughs> How is that possible? It was 1998. Anything was possible. Yeah, true. Music was still primitive back then. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't really found <laughs> the best music ever, which is where we're yeah. at today. This is the band's second best-selling album after their 1994 breakout, Smash. The album was called Smash. Hopefully that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> Smash was a smashing... Yeah. Success. It was promoted with a worldwide tour and an appearance at the infamous Woodstock 99 Festival. What do you know about Woodstock 99, Mike? I know. I'm glad it's never happened again. Was that the last Woodstock? Yeah, you know what? I feel like they might have tried to do one more, but I I couldn't be certain on that. 99 was trying to celebrate an anniversary of the original Woodstock. Obviously, it's notorious because so much went wrong. There was mud fights. There were fist fights. Think Firefest before Firefest. Just oh, it was that bad? Maybe not that bad because nobody went to a deserted island and couldn't fly home. That's true. But I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. Maybe when we discuss Limp Biscuit, we'll include a portion about Woodstock '99. There you go. I know they were a part of it as well. And to this day, Keenan, it is considered one of the greatest pop punk albums of all time, and has inspired many of our favorite bands, and our favorite albums from the early 2000s. November 1998, we were both eight years old. What in the world's going on here, Mike? Another month before we get to celebrate your birthday, Keenan. That's right. November's a big month for pop punk <laughs> albums, clearly. <laughs> apparently, apparently. November 3rd, Keenan. Shakespeare in Love, directed by John Madden and starring Gwyneth Paltrow and Joseph Fiennes. <laughs> Fine. Fines? <laughs> Uh, I would say fines, but Viennes 
Sounds nice too. <laughs> Starring Gwyneth Paltrow, premieres in New York. <laughs> Winner of Best Picture that year, Keenan, and a movie I've never seen. I was going to say, isn't this one of your favorites of all time? And can you tell us the entire plot? Sure. It's about William Shakespeare and how he falls in love. That's perfect. Good enough for me. I've never seen it either, so sounds right. I guess it's considered a good movie because it did win Best Picture, but anything that includes Shakespeare immediately turns me off because I'm afraid that I'm not going to understand it. What about that 2000s adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that was based in like LA? Do you know that one? Yes, I do. I think we watched that in grade school. It was based in LA, but they kept all the original texts or you know, language from the Shakespeare play. Yeah. Was Leonardo DiCaprio on that one? Somebody big was in that one. I think, yeah, he was. I remember Jamie Kennedy was in it. He had like a minor role as one of the the henchmen of, I don't know, Romeo or something. Wow, I think we might talk about him later, too. I think we're going to talk about him later. Ooh. <laughs> November 19th, the impeachment hearing begins against U.S. President Bill Clinton during the infamous Monica Lewinsky scandal. Yeah, I remember being eight years old and not knowing what the hell was going on with this. Oh, I, I know exactly what was going on. Really? You understood all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Nice. Knew it all. I was ahead of my time, Mike. You understood all the nuanced discourse of... I did. Oh, okay. All the uh, socio-political implications that went along with it, absolutely. I guess you had older siblings, so that makes sense. Yeah. No, I didn't know everything, but what I do remember, Mike, is... In first grade, I got in trouble because I got into an argument with Adrian Gardner, who I had a huge crush on at the time, and I kept telling her that she had sex with Ken Starr, and she kept saying that I had sex with Monica Lewinsky, and that was something that first graders were not supposed to be saying, <laughs> and Mrs. Walsh heard us and explained to us that sex was something that only parents did, and we should not be talking about it, and I think we had to sit in the corner for several minutes. <laughs> It was very Jeez. weird. <laughs> Swiftly handled by Mrs. Walsh. Good job, Mrs. Walsh. <laughs> yeah. Kids do say the darnest things, but pretty good insults by you guys, though. Yeah. To say that you had sex with the, uh, what was Ken Starr's role? The solicitor general or some attorney that was, I don't even know. Right. I would have to Wikipedia him, but <laughs> you should apologize to Adrian. She should apologize to me. All right. All right. All right. November 20th, the first module of the International Space Station, Zarya, is launched. Now, is that the space station that's still up there? It is. Or the, the first piece of it, I guess? Yeah, so I think that was the initial piece that they sent up, and it supplied power and storage or something like that. And so once that was in place, they were able to kind of build the rest of the station around it. At least that's what I read. So that's pretty cool. So that's the same one, I believe. I'm sure... We're going to have some nerds email the show, Charlie Kelly, and he's going to be like, well, technically it's been serviced and it's out of use since, but no, I, I believe that was the very first piece of the ISS to go up. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. I kind of have a bone to pick with Charlie Kelly because we discuss him almost every week when it comes to this kind of topic, and he used to respond with very detailed responses. That's true. Haven't heard from him in a while. Yeah. It's almost as if he doesn't even listen to the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> although he did end up he did get us that star featuring mark hoppus so that's true can never stay mad at him for too long we're gonna live on that star someday we're gonna ride zarya to, to our star <laughs> but did you know apparently the iss is only the size of like a football field and it's not even like the full 
dimensions of a football field. It's very tiny. See, when you said football field, I, that was actually bigger than I was expecting. But Really? Dude, multiple people have lived on the ISS for like months and months on end. And it's not just living space. There's like labs and all sorts of equipment. That's true. I guess that really scales it down for me because I'm thinking I've lived with another grown adult and a baby inside a one level ranch house for 12 months. That's true. Good point. <laughs> Pretty much. You would love to have a football field right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, we do have a nice big yard, but that's useless in the winter months. And I guess outside in space is pretty useless as well in terms of extracurricular activities. Yeah. On November 21st, Nintendo releases The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, I believe for the N64. That's right, the Nintendo 64. This was a huge game. I remember I didn't own it, but I feel like everybody else that I knew did. You never had it? No, I never had it, but I was always playing it. Yeah, it was great. We had it. You know the kids that actually can play the ocarinas? (laughs) I don't think I'm friends with too many of those people now. I remember somebody in high school had one, and they actually could play songs on it. Oh, that's pretty pretty cool. cool. Yeah. I feel like I could see Shane do, like learning how to do something like that for kicks. Well, Shane was definitely very into that game. I mean, we both were, but he beat it on the hardest setting multiple times. He was pretty obsessed with it, and he had the sequel games. And uh, I remember it being an awesome game. I didn't really have the patience for it because mm-hmm. there was a whole story to it. Like, if I went back today, I would love to play that game again. Yeah, maybe that's why I didn't have it. I wasn't a huge RPG kind of guy. I got bored with the playing for hours on end and never really feeling like you accomplished anything until the very end. So I usually like like car racing games or fighting games. Yeah. Short bouts. Mario Kart, Super Smash Brothers, the quick mm-hmm. hits. Those were the best. Yep. I love those. November 24th, another huge stock transaction, Keenan. America Online announces it will acquire Netscape Communications in a stock-for-stock transaction worth $4.2 billion. I'm sorry, Mike. Was that billion with a B? Billion with a B. Wow. That's yep. wild. But I think it was a pretty smart decision because today, America Online and Netscape are worth a combined $0 billion, <laughs> Keenan. I'm sorry. Was that $0 billion with a B? Yep. $0 <laughs> billion with a B. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember AOL? Do you remember AOL dial-up? Yeah, of course. That was fun. It's one of those sounds that instantly just makes you feel like you're in your whatever, your parents' family room or living room, wherever the family computer was at the time. Oh, do you mean this sound? Once the telephone became separate from the dial-up, that tone was gone, right? That was only when it was kind of dialing into the phone line. That sound? That sounds right, yeah. Pretty sure that was the case. Because originally you couldn't use the phone and the internet at the same time, which is... It was a real nuisance at the time. <laughs> it is funny when you stop to think about how much things have changed. It's like your internet is on your phone and you don't really use it as a phone that often. Can you imagine if any time on your cell phone you wanted to use the internet, you also could use the phone? Then again, I don't really talk on the phone all that often these days. No, I mostly just ignore calls. (laughs) All the random calls that we get now? Yeah, exactly. Keenan, I have been looking forward all week to find out who has died. (laughs) Please tell me there's some celebrity deaths. Mike, I'm sorry. I don't have any. 
Oh. But what I do have are a whole bunch of celebrity weddings. <laughs> oh, all right. I guess that's... Could you settle for that, Mike? Well, let's see who they are first, and okay. I'll let you know. There's some good ones. We, we actually have three very good ones this week. Here we go. On November 14th, Chicago Bulls player Dennis Rodman weds Baywatch actress Carmen Electra in Vegas. Not surprised by the location. No, not at all. So they were married in 1998. They divorced in 1999. Couldn't even make it out of the decade, Mike. That was a really good try, though. I was going to say at least a year, but this was very late 1998, so I don't even think we can mm, probably not. can be encouraged in that sense. I actually do remember that wedding. That was like a big wedding, and it was a weird wedding, because wasn't he... Didn't he wear like a wedding gown or something? Or am I thinking of a different thing? I'm not sure if it was for this occasion, but I know I've seen him in a picture where he's wearing a wedding dress before. Yeah, Rodman was kind of the first of his kind. Like there had always been larger than life NBA players, but he just took it to a new level. And for him to marry Carmen Electra, who was 1998, one of the biggest models or... I would probably call her more a model than an actress, but... Yeah, definitely. This was like a a perfect celebrity wedding in that time period. They actually touched upon it in The Last Dance, that documentary that came out. I was just thinking that, yeah. They talk about their relationship. Right. There was a whole episode or portion of an episode talking about how Rodman would need nights off from games and he would just go to Vegas and party and just get completely burnt out and then just come back and play and like act like it was like nothing ever happened. Yeah, it was crazy. And I remember they detailed this weird relationship and how it affected his personal life and the team. And yeah, I, I remember that. Carmen Electra was definitely one of my earliest crushes, I think. Really? You have quite the taste, Mike. <laughs> yeah. wonder what her real name is. That's it? What? That's her name, Carmen Electra. It's <laughs> a cool ass name. <laughs> I think it's um Swiss. November twenty second, Titanic actress Kate Winslet weds assistant film director Jim Thrapleton. <laughs> it's like Greg Stapleton. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a typo? Is his name really Jim Thrapleton? <laughs> if it's a typo, it's not my fault. It's that uh, portal current events. That's great. That would be the name Greg would give to the hotel if he were yeah. famous. <laughs> Is there a Greg Stapleton staying there? No, but we do have a Jim Thrapleton here. <laughs> He's wearing those glasses with like the mustache. Yeah. Schmim Schmapleton has just checked in. <laughs> This one sounds like it was built to last. This one was definitely built to last. They were married in 1998, divorced in 2001. So they made it a few more years. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's very good. Kate Winslet, this was, let's put it in perspective, Keenan. This She was on top of the world in 1998. She was on top of the world, yeah. And on top of a boat and on top of a door. <laughs> she was on top of everything, yeah. Yeah, including Jim Thrapleton, it would appear. <laughs> Michael! (laughs) I'll probably cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Never understood the real appeal of Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah. The guy who was into Carmen Electra. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Scumbag. 
Kate Winslet just isn't my type. Nice, wholesome British lady. She's British, right? Not for me. Yeah. Okay, good. I need a party girl like me. That's true. Go to Vegas. Let's just get married in Vegas. You are a party girl. You're right. Yeah. Well, I hope you have some good news for me because we have two duds. The weddings themselves are great, but the outcomes are very discouraging to me, Keenan. Please tell me there's some hope on the horizon. Oh, Mike. Boy, do I have some big news for you. November 28th, actor and martial arts expert Chuck Norris. Have you heard of Chuck Norris, Mike? <laughs> yes, Keenan, I have. He's a pretty big deal. He's a very strong and brave man. That is true. That's what he's known for. On that date, he weds former model Gina O'Kelly. Where else, Mike? In Texas. Walker, Texas Ranger, Keenan. That's right. So appropriate. And guess what, Mike? What? To this day, they are still married. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's some good news. Love wins out after all, Keenan. Chuck Norris, I mean, he's just a nice, wholesome guy. Very badass. Almost godlike in many ways. Yeah, I think he was kind of turned into that through the Chuck Norris joke phenomenon, which, for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them, but I know they were quite the thrill back in the day. They were. They were pretty funny. Do you remember any? One I remember, Mike, is when God said, let there be light, Chuck said, say please. (laughs) (laughs) So dumb. Hold on, let me do one more. It was so easy to be funny once upon a time. I know. Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares them down until he gets the information he wants. (laughs) I remember telling those funny jokes. The dinosaurs looked at Chuck Norris the wrong way once. You know what happened to them? They're extinct. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Oh, you better watch out how you look at Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris can dribble a bowling ball. Eh. Chuck Norris's tears could cure cancer. Too bad he never cries. (laughs) That's a good one. Chuck Norris counted to infinity twice. (laughs) Holy shit. Chuck Norris can speak Braille. Okay. Champions are the breakfast of Chuck Norris. (laughs) (laughs) These are so dumb. Chuck Norris once won a game of Connect Four in three moves. Chuck Norris can kill two stones with one bird. (laughs) Chuck Norris can play the violin with a piano. (laughs) None of this doesn't even make sense. Chuck Norris makes onions cry. It's like Chuck Norris drinks beer through his ears. (laughs) That's not one of them. No, that's pretty much what we're getting towards. Chuck Norris can build a snowman out of rain. Uh. All right, stop reading Chuck Norris. Chuck jokes. Norris can tie his shoes with his feet. <laughs> can you imagine? All right. <laughs> what's, what's the purpose? When Chuck Norris does a push up, uh, he's pushing the earth down. That one's pretty cool. That one's definitely cool. All right, stop doing these. All right, let's move on. This album is sometimes considered a concept album because there's really only one main overarching theme throughout the album. It contains themes of unhappy American lifestyles. Speaking of the album, shortly after its release, Dexter Holland explained that the songs on Americana aren't condemnations. They're short stories about the state of things in this country and what we see going on around us. The Offspring wanted to expose the darker side of the American culture and explain that it may look like an episode of Happy Days out there, but it's really more like an episode of Twin Peaks. So 
instead of this really hunky-dory image of America that we all thought it was, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, a lot darker, deeper things. Very cool. I'm sure we'll come to find a lot of examples of that, Keenan. A few come to mind already. Holland also explained that Americana served as a commentary on the American culture, satirizing hypocritical lives and political correctness. One of the influences was even the Jerry Springer show because that kind of showed the wackiness of the American people that was big at the time being plastered all over daytime TV as the representation of America and Americans. Yeah, it feels like every song on this album could be an episode of Jerry Springer. You just sort of take it right from that show. Absolutely. Despite dealing with themes of aimlessness and disillusionment with the American way and the American dream, derived from how that generation had just gotten to adulthood and was having problems in getting jobs, sustaining themselves, things like that, Holland explained that he didn't want it to be a record that made you feel hopeless. At the end of the day, he just wanted people to get something positive out of it, which is kind of funny because I feel like it's not a super positive album. Um, no, not at all. Like when I was done listening to this album, I thought, wow, I don't feel great. I was honestly moved by it. Like it had an effect on me, but it wasn't one where I left thinking, I'm very hopeful for America. Yeah. There weren't a ton of positive messages. No. But maybe we can at least learn from a mic. Maybe that was the whole point. So you owned this album back in the day, did you not? Yeah, I was first exposed to The Offspring by, do you remember Kayla Mealy from Running Camp? Yeah, of course, yeah. We were going to like bowling or something and she had her iPod and she told me to listen to Pretty Fly for a white guy. Mm. And I just thought that was the coolest song I had heard. There was like a couple different musical aspects to it. I was 15 at the time, so I probably could relate to being the white guy. You were a white guy at the time, yeah. I was. I I was at the time. (laughs) I don't know. I did have this album. I don't know if she burned it for me after that or or what, but it was funny because it wasn't one that was ever on very heavy rotation, but in listening again this week, it was one of those where I'm like, oh, I know this one. I know this one. And couldn't have told you many of the titles, but when the songs were playing i was kind of singing along like oh i actually know all these songs so yeah it was a couple years before we really got into this music i would say but it still managed to find its way into my walkman back in the day great how about you big boy i love when you call me big boy (laughs) i never had this album i don't think i think this is an album where (laughs) idiot (laughs) you were sitting behind kaylin and me on the bus and you're like Hey guys, could I get could I get an earbud? It was like no. And he was like, no, get away, you freak. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But I never owned this album. I'm not entirely sure I've even listened to the entire thing all the way through, because some of these songs, maybe I just haven't heard them in so long. But some of these, I feel like I was discovering them for the first time. But I do remember the Offspring from back in the day because they had that one song, "All I Want," on the Crazy Taxi video game. Do you remember that? It was featured ah. in the video game. There you go. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I think I heard them for the first time. 
And I think from there, I was introduced to this sound, which is a totally different sound than anything I was used to. And I became a huge fan. But The Offspring isn't a band where I sat down and listened to their albums from front to back, but it's a band where they're just a mainstay of pop punk. And so you always hear their songs. Over their long career, they have released a bunch of songs that you still hear today. And similar to what we discussed with Something Corporate last week, I would say they even bridge into the just punk variety. Like, I still hear these songs on WMMR and stations that are more focused on, like, harder rock. So they are, I guess, for our purposes, pop punk. But I wouldn't be surprised about hearing these songs on a variety of stations. Yeah, they're a lot more raw than a lot of the bands we've talked about during this podcast. But they're also one of the originators, so. For sure. Track number one is called Welcome. Welcome to Americana. Please make your selection followed by the pound sign now. This is literally a 10 second long intro track with no music. It's like an automated operator, right? Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways it actually dates the album. This is like one of those hotlines that you would call if you're trying to place an order for I don't know, something you saw on TV. Is that the vibe that you got from it? Yeah, I thought of how I used to call CVS to, for prescriptions. They had an operator on there that you would just press buttons and get your prescription filled. Oh, was this in like the, the mid-2000s? Yep. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. Like, it's almost as if you're calling into this album and you're selecting the offspring. That's what you're going to listen to. That's, I right. think, kind of what they were getting at. Welcome in, Mike. A fun little throwback to 1998 of which we'll see a few more yeah we will track number two have you ever First thing I noticed, Mike, very raw punk sound. Oh, yeah. The blast beat, the distortion on the guitars. Other bands have distortion, but the sound that they've created, I think, is a lot different from your classic mid-2000s pop punk band. They definitely had a more distinct sound from a lot of the other bands I was listening to at the time. And for that reason, sometimes I felt a little more badass when I would put these songs on. And this was one of them. It's a great, upbeat second track, Keenan. I haven't done that in a while. I know. I was about to say, it's been a little while. I was kind of liking it, actually. Me not doing it? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Oh. No, I'm kidding. I, I love when you do it. Only when it's actually upbeat, though. Probably because it hasn't been upbeat, maybe. Ooh, that could be too. The thing is, Mike, not only was the music more raw, but also the way that Dexter Holland sings, it's a very vintage punk sound. He's like that classic punk singer. Yes, I think we'll find out through a lot of these songs, he kind of isn't afraid to just say what's on his mind. He doesn't really hold back. Yeah. Nothing's sugarcoated on this album. Well, as we mentioned before, one of the things that they were trying to do is comment on political correctness, how everybody was trying to be politically correct, and they didn't want to be that. The song is a variety of themes, I guess, but in general, what I got out of it was just having a bad day or a rough go of it 
and wondering if it's just you or if other people feel this way too. Like this constant feeling of defeat and just nothingness. It's like, am I the only one that feels this way or has anybody else ever felt this way? That's what the title is saying. Have you ever felt like this? Mm -hmm. And totally agree. It's the feelings of depression, insignificance, and I think also the paranoia that comes with that. Like you're you're not sure why you're feeling this way and you're paranoid that the people around you are judging you. So did you get like a sense of paranoia too? I did get a, a little bit of a sense of that too. Also that feeling like you have to act a certain way to please the ones around you. Like you have to fit into this social construct. Yeah. Get in line, fall in the herd, you know? And if you feel differently or you feel weird about it, then that makes you like, that makes something wrong with you. The system is not wrong. You are the one who is wrong. Right. Yeah. So this song is almost like a mind game in a lot of ways. What do you feel about the ending of the song, Mike? The end of the song changes musically and sounds like almost a completely different song. The tempo slows down, the instruments Mm -hmm. drop out, and all of a sudden there's this kind of short bass solo before all the instruments come back in. I think it's cool. I think it's actually one of my favorite parts of the album. This last little hit, I think is really cool. Agreed. Some good lyrics in the second part of the song as well. That line, crime does pay. That's kind of like a nice foreshadowing of this album for how these guys see the American culture. Like you have all these big wigs in charge of things and a lot of criminal behaviors going on for people to get into those sort of places in life. Yeah, when they repeat that little part at the end, crime does pay, all I kept thinking was the truth of it is even when you're not consumed by your insecurities, even when you're starting to think positively and have a brighter idea of life and the world around you, the world's still a bad place. I don't know, it's a very cynical view on just culture. It is. You have to cheat to get ahead. Yeah. But there are some good lyrics on this track. One that's always stood out to me was in the first verse, have you ever walked through a room, but it was more like the room passed around you? Wow. You know that one, Keenan? Oh, yeah. And that reminded me of like those situations where you might be at a party and you feel out of place and it's just like you're stuck in like a frozen in time sort of deal mm-hmm. and everybody else is buzzing around you. Parties, Mike. What are those? I, I honestly couldn't tell you at this point. <laughs> It's been a long time, but I also thought of those times when you're driving. Do you ever drive and you almost like come to like your mind is just, oh yeah, focus on so many things and you suddenly are like, oh wow, how did I get here? Like you're in a a regular routine drive and you're at a completely different part of the drive than you were expecting. I think they call those micro sleeps. I think that's like a real thing and it happens to people where your brain just sort of checks out and then checks back in and it always happens when you're driving not always but it's very common when you're driving yeah like you put the car in park and it's just like wait i'm i'm here yeah it's so weird kind of scary but that's what i thought of like the world just passing by as you're suspended in this car this state of motion yeah you feel almost not conscious in a way right 
Track number three. This is one of your favorite pastimes, Mike. Staring at the sun. <laughs> this song This song made me miss Donald Trump. Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's all I thought of when I read that title. Actually one of his favorite pastimes. Baby life is like a ride on a freeway. Dodging bullets while you're trying to find your way. Everyone's around, but no one does a damn thing. It brings me down. But I won't let them if I see things. The song was a bit repetitive, wasn't it? It is a bit repetitive. It's another one that is negative and kind of gives me the feeling of hopelessness. So it's repetitive in that sense, too. Yeah, you're right. It's this message that life is hard and the people around you aren't there to help you. Like nobody's there to give you a hand. Exactly. Keenan. not only is life hard, but get this. Maybe life is like a ride on a freeway, dodging bullets while you're trying to find your way. Where is this guy driving? <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Just dodging bullets? <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, in L.A., which is where they're from. Life's not that bad. Uh, in L.A. Not every day. You'd be surprised, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you really can't dodge a bullet with a car anyway. Sure you can. Okay. You just don't drive good enough. I think staring at the sun also reminds me of that portrayal of the American people that you see on shows like Jerry Springer or Mari Povich, where just this underlying feeling that we're all really dumb. Yeah. Like, I think of a guy staring at the sun, like, mouth agape, just going, huh? (laughs) And just having his vision ruined. And Yeah, I think it's even more than just dumb people staring at the sun. I think it's... I think what they're saying is that these people are self-destructive because when you stare at the sun, you're hurting your vision, hurting your eyes. You're mm-hmm. doing something that's bad for you. So I think he's saying that the American people are super self-destructive. People on the Jerry Springer show are just ruining their own lives with this stupid drama. But at the same time, they're saying, don't allow people with these self-destructive tendencies to bring you down. The lines, but I won't be burned by the reflection of the fire in your eyes as you're staring at the sun. So he's going to overcome that. He's not going to let these types of people bring him down. I guess I consider it bleak but hopeful. Things might be bad, but you can still try to do everything in your power to control what you can and make as much positive out of these negatives as humanly possible. This line also has my tattoo line, Keenan. Really? Oh, this is a good one because there are some good lines in here. I think this is a line where... 14, 15 year old me heard this and just thought, this is pure poetry. This is the deepest thing I've heard in my life. There's more to living than only surviving. Maybe I'm not there, but I'm still trying. Man, yeah, that one is deep for yep. a 14 year old. And still, I I just got chills. Don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right, so where do you want to get this one? That's that hopeful optimism, Keenan. And everybody knows you are a huge optimist, yes. I am. I am. Maybe today's not going to be the best day ever, but you survived. That's right. You got through. Where will I get this? Where would the offspring want me to get this? 
maybe like an, on my neck. Yeah, I was just thinking that on your neck. Like on the front of my neck, like near the Adam's apple, that area. Yeah, so when you're looking up, staring at the sun, everybody can see it. Perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's great. Hopefully tell me to, to stop. That was also one of those things when you were little. It's like, don't look at the sun for more than seven seconds or you'll go blind. That was all fake. I, I've done it multiple times. I'm fine today. And my dad's an eye doctor, so, you know. You could just fix your eyes anyway. Yeah, I'll just get new eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Uh, no, he keeps them in jars. Seriously. <laughs> Track number four. Pretty fly for a white guy. Like, I will say, this song could have been written about you. You're basically the flyest white guy I know. Thank you, Kenan. And that's not because you look like a fly. Right. I'm no I'm no Jordan in the no. Failure's Not Flattering no. music video. That's right, no. Although I think we'll come to find out that there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek in this one. The white guy isn't really that fly after all. I think that's a really good point, Mike. Good observation there. Thank you. Before we get there, Mike, the opening of this song... You know what that translates to, right? I think it translates to nothing. No, it means pretty fly for a white guy in German. Ah, Gutenstan. Yeah. What is, I need to look up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only German I know. Why would that be the only word that you know? Oh, it's, a, it's a city in Austria. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's random, but... I don't know. Okay. The truth is, Mike, you're right. It actually is nonsense. doesn't mean anything. It's actually originally from a Def Leppard song, Rock of Ages. And according to Def Leppard, it was just gibberish. I do remember being younger and having heard that it was from somewhere else and used in the song, but I couldn't have told you it was Def Leppard. Nice. Yeah. So apparently, Mike, a major source of inspiration for the song was Dexter Holland would be cruising around his hometown of Huntington Beach, California, and he would see all these white guys, these posers who would dress like wannabe gangsters, act like wannabe gangsters, and he thought that that was just the funniest thing in the world. So that's the inspiration for this song. That's why he wrote it. That idea is expressed very clearly on this, Keenan. And that was a pretty popular time, the late 90s, early 2000s, for white guys that didn't really dress like your typical white guy, and in doing so, just looked ridiculous. Like we talked about earlier, the classic example is Jamie Kennedy in Malibu's Most Wanted. Wouldn't you agree? This song is basically just describing his character from that movie, absolutely. That's all I kept thinking. Just spiky hair, like a 
sideways baseball cap or visor and like baggy basketball shorts or something like that. And just using slang that is not in his natural vernacular. Yeah, absolutely. That is a funny movie though, Mike. Did you ever see that movie? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Chapstick, chapstick, or something. That's that's all I remember about it. That's all I remember too, but... But yeah, Jamie Kennedy is essentially just this guy. Traffic, traffic, looking for my chapstick. There's a Dodge Maverick. Yeah, something like that's that, what right? it was, yeah. Yeah, it's a person that's overcompensating. They're a wannabe, and they're trying to be something that they're not. The music video is also very similar to Malibu's Most Wanted. I think Malibu's Most Wanted may have even ripped this song off in some ways and ripped this music video off. The music video is just this Jamie Kennedy character cruising around town. Yeah, he's driving a low rider. He's wearing FUBU. I think he's wearing like a sideways visor. Kidding on chicks. He throws up like the West Coast sign at one point. Yep. These guys just look at him and shake their head like, who the hell is this guy think he is? It's funny. The guy in the video is not Jamie Kennedy. No. It's some actor. They originally tried to book Seth Green, which is another perfect oh, that 1998 yeah. actor for this kind of thing. But he was unavailable. So I was watching this video and it was very nostalgic for that time period i thought it was a really entertaining music video yeah it was good it was poking fun at a very specific type of person yeah it told a good story and it was like people kind of laughed at this guy and they laughed along with him like like he didn't mean any harm by the stuff he was doing he was just completely out of touch with how everybody else around him saw him i also just love the way that he dances in it he does like that like that makeshift running man like a very white looking running man and just made me think, like, that's basically how I dance today, so. I really related to that because that's about the extent of how I can dance. Yeah. Wait, so we both just dance like that? Oh, that's not good. I know. I hate weddings. I hate, like, Abby yells at me if I'm not dancing. And then when I go dance, she just makes fun of me the entire time. Yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, Mike. Yeah. So I just hang around the dessert table waiting for the cake. <laughs> <laughs> dancing at the cake table? I sift through the cars and take the checks. (laughs) Can we make Dancing at the Cake Table the name of our first pop punk album, please? That sounds good. But yeah, solid music video. This song has a ton of pop culture references that, again, date it, but are great nonetheless. He wanted an Ice Cube CD, but all they had was Vanilla Ice, which is the perfect rapper for this guy to be listening to. Classic. Yeah. A misheard lyric, Keenan, that a lot of the lines in the song actually are kind of fast-paced, so I miss them. But the line, at least you'll know, you can always go on Ricky Lake. I always heard that as grow up and relate. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That is one that I actually had no idea they referenced Ricky Lake. I didn't know what they were saying, to be honest. But this is the first time I saw Ricky Lake, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was one of those sort of trash TV shows, right? Kind of like a yep. Jerry Springer where people would air their problems on national TV. And another one, I asked Abby before we started recording, any thoughts on The Offspring? And all she said back was she sang, S for a 13, but they drew a 31. Yeah, the tattoo like, that's one. all she had to say. I'm like, anything else? She's yeah. like, no, that's all I remember. <laughs> the guy goes to get a tattoo, he wants a 13, yeah. and ends up with a 31. So, Which I think... Is a reference to MS-13, right? The gang? It could have been that. I wasn't positive how long that's been around. Definitely since the 90s. I think so. I mean, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure they've been around for a while. Okay. I also read a theory that 
M is the 13th letter of the alphabet. So people that are like potheads or smoke marijuana get the number 13 tattooed on them. Oh, really? No idea if that's the case or not. No idea if that's oh, the that's case. That's interesting. Another <laughs> explanation could be when you go into a tattoo parlor and they have like the samples up on the wall, just like give me a number 13 and say it's this badass skull, but the guy gives you like a 31 and it's like, a unicorn or a pony or something. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. We're definitely too white to fully understand that reference. You might be right, Mike. And you might be white, Mike. And another one, how they say kick his lily ass. Because I was just thinking, like, they could have said so many words that would not be okay. I know. That's such a cool thing to say, dude. I know. They picked the perfect word. And then did you read about what lily livered means? No. Lily would is like a clear or like non-color. And livered would be like what they used to eat in England. So if you were lily livered, it's like you had no food in your stomach. You're just oh. like a weak person. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that's what lily ass comes from? Yeah. But I just always thought like, damn. In 1998, they easily could have just said, kick his f-ing ass. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> thank God they chose the word lily. <laughs> yeah. The word lily is timeless. Can't get yeah. in trouble for that. <laughs> Apparently. At least for now. The last thing I will say, Mike, is. This is kind of a cop-out, but a doppelganger this week, or a fake doppelganger, is Weird Al's song, the spoof of this song, Pretty Fly for a Rabbi. You remember that one? I do. (laughs) That was a good one. I think I may have actually heard that song before I've heard this song, believe it or not. Track number five, The Kids Aren't Alright. How's your kid, Mike? Is he all right? <laughs> Compared to the kids in this song, so far, yeah. <laughs> That's good news. It's hard being a parent, though, man. This song kind of speaks to that. There's all these kids that live on this street, and they're all showing promise and are expected to have these great lives, and it just doesn't pan out for any of them. Very sad. It is very sad, yeah. They talk about people who get pregnant and people who drop out of school. And then it takes a very dark turn at one point in the song, and they talk about Jay who committed suicide and Brandon who OD'd and died. It just like takes yeah. a big leap at one point. Very dark turn. There's four examples. Jamie had a chance. She really did. Instead, she dropped out and had a couple kids. Mark still lives at home because he's got no job, just plays guitar and smokes a lot of pot. And then Jay committed suicide. Brandon OD'd and died. And it's like... First of all, Mark is just living a great life. 
Like, all he does is just live at home, play guitar, and smoke yeah, weed. Yeah, nothing that's wrong with that. A, what a lot of people aspire to. Yeah, that's huge. That's like the peak. Completely different from Jay and Brandon. That's Those are really sad things. And maybe Jamie is very happy that she's a mother and has some children. Yeah, she could be proud of that, yeah. Obviously, you know, that's not the plan, to drop out of school for that reason, but it happens. The thing is that all these kids are on the same street, just swallowed them all. It does make me think how, like, back in the day, your neighborhood was, like, the center of the universe. Do you remember that? How, like, that was the place to be? Or at least it felt like it was back then? I do, to an extent, but we didn't have a ton of kids in my neighborhood uh, through mm. the early years of my life. I don't know. I never lived on a street with a ton of kids. It was always, like, me and then a bunch of younger families that had, like, babies and younger kids. Oh, you can hang out with the babies? I should have made sure that those babies had good lives. Yeah. You didn't want to make sure the babies didn't get pregnant and drop out? Yes, babies, please. <laughs> babies, Stop. don't do that. This is also my favorite song. Well, I would say that this is probably their, maybe their second most famous, most popular song of all time after You're Gonna Go Far Kid. I think they both compete for like the most famous offspring song of all time. But this one's definitely up there. Yeah, this is one I still hear today. And I guess we should mention in an album that has a ton of references so far that this title, it is an allusion to the Who song, The Kids Are Alright. That's right. Yeah, this is their interpretation of that, I guess. Not only is this a song that you still hear to this day and is still very popular, but this is a song that is prevalent, I think, in every gym in America. This just screams like the ultimate workout song to me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but in high school, in college, coaching... It has always been played in the gym, in the workout room. It's like the weirdest thing. And I bet if you ask a lot of athletes today, what are your top 15 to 20 workout songs? This cracks a lot of those lists. Athletes, poppongproject.gmail.com. Yeah. But I do know for a fact, like one of my buddies, Tyler Nace, who he's an ex-Olympian. This is like one of his favorite workout songs of all time. Well, I have no reason to question that then. <laughs> I know. I think part of it could be, you know, you motivate yourself to be a great athlete and hopefully not end up smoking weed in your parents' basement, right? I think you hear the themes in the song and you're like, oh, I'm not going to be that guy. I don't want to be Mark. Yeah. The music video for this one was, I thought, very interesting. This is one of those music videos where I feel like they wanted to just utilize some technology. It was like the All-American mm -hmm. Rejects music video for Time Stand Still, where they had this like time capture technology they just wanted to use over and over again this one it was like this weird green screen visual effect where they could morph one person into another and they're like oh let's just make a whole video out of this yeah and it shows people in like promising parts of their adolescence like somebody's lifting weight somebody's like accepting an award or a trophy and then it just devolves into like people shaking depressed crying it's all these people that are supposed to succeed in life, and it just doesn't pan out for them for whatever reason. My favorite part of the video is at one point, one guy comes out of somebody else's butt. Did you <laughs> yeah, notice that? That was a good part, yeah. It's like a girl, <laughs> a girl, like a cheerleader girl or something, like bends over, and then you have to watch the video because it sounds insane, but yeah. it's constantly just forms morphing into the next form. Yeah, it's but the, weird. the transition is a guy just comes out of her butt. Yeah. And then it's like his turn to yeah. be on the screen. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting but odd choice. The one part that I like is when there's two people working out. There's 
one guy who's like lifting weights and a girl who's doing curls, but she's like the bottom half of him. And if you just look very quickly, it looks like it could be some like shrimp or something like this weird underwater creature. It looks very weird. Yeah, they don't always have legs. No, it's yeah, it's an interesting video. Yeah, I guess going back to the Americana theme, it could be you're told from a young age, the possibilities are endless. And for whatever reason, a lot of lives end up being quite sad or at the very least, not the grand expectations that had been instilled in you at a young age. So, right. And that could be maybe commentary on the fact that, again, if you don't cheat or you don't try to get ahead, success is very unattainable for the common person on a common street in america yeah there's a word for that mike american exceptionalism and i think you're exactly right that's what they're commenting on hell yeah i'm exactly right but minus two points for not knowing the term 98 out of 100 mike if only you were an exceptional person you would have gotten 100 out of 100 i don't need tests i got an a in life whoa oh yeah the cereal <laughs> no I eat champions for breakfast. Oh, yeah. All right, Chuck Norris. <laughs> Track number six, Feelings. Is this an Offspring original, Mike? It's not, Keenan. It's actually a parody cover? Almost a Weird Al song of the yeah. room of a Morris Albert song. You know, Morris Albert. Yeah, everybody knows him. <laughs> Wasn't he that uh, Brazilian singer-songwriter? Yeah, he was. That we all know and love. I love old Morial. Yeah, he had this song called Feelings, and it was a very soft rock song. It was like soft piano, acoustic guitar. It was a love ballad. His song was about the feelings of love. Feelings for my life, I'll feel it. I wish I've never met you, girl. You'll never come again. It was after a breakup, he was trying to forget about this person and trying to forget about these feelings of love. Well, The Offspring, they have their own version of this song, Mike, and it's about feelings of hate. Yeah, I don't even know at what extent does a parody go too far because there are lines in this song where he talks about beating in your face, killing you. Yeah. And I guess it's a joke, but I don't know how funny it actually is. I mean, if it's about somebody you used to love, I think it's about a breakup. Like, that's the whole point. And yeah, he's talking about punching this person and killing this person. It's a little dark. Yeah. When you're in a very emotional stage like that, a million things go through your head. Obviously, you don't act on that kind of thing, even if it's a passing thought. Mm -hmm. Some people do, though, Mike. Let's not forget that. Hopefully not Dexter Holland of The Offspring, though. No, and none of our pop-punk posse either. No, nobody in the posse. So you understand like that really like overwhelming sort of anger? It's just weird when it's in a song and it's like, it's an upbeat, like, 
like yeah. the whole rest of it's like cool and then it's like oh wait well no 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 yeah it was interesting i thought it was a little strange i wasn't entirely clear on why they wanted to cover that song specifically i wasn't sure what the connection was me neither i don't know yeah it's i guess sometimes it's okay to have a nice angry song so this is a cover and it's something that reminded me of a long lost memory i have a little bit of a story if that's okay with you sure So I always knew the song was a cover. Like I knew it had been like the feelings had been done somewhere else. I thought that there was a song called felines, like cats, like the animal cat. Yeah. And so I had always thought, oh, this song is like a rendition of the classic song felines from the musical cats. You know, the musical cats. Yeah. 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 So. When I was <laughs> listening and researching this album, like, oh, let me go find the cast version of this song. <laughs> and I found out that that doesn't exist. And it was just a song on Sesame Street called Felines. How did you make the connection? I'm so confused. Like, why did you think The Offspring would have done that? Because at a young age, I had watched Sesame Street and heard the Feline song. <laughs> so when I heard The Offspring song... I knew that it was like a parody of that song. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But I thought the song, but then I thought the musical Cats took the original (sighs) version of Feelings, turned it into the song Felines. My head hurts. Does that really not make sense? I mean, it kind of makes sense. I'm just, it's it's a very strange connection. Yeah, it is. Imagine imagine me finding it out. I think you may have been staring at the sun a little bit too long there, Mike. I'll post a video for felines. You might remember it. It's just cats okay. singing felines. Come on, girls. Felines. Meow, 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 felines. Meow, 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 here, dear. Here's a mousy surprise. I don't know. I didn't remember it was from Sesame Street. So the logical thing, where's the song about felines from? The musical Cats. That's fair, yeah. Long story short, Keenan. Sesame Street takes a lot of popular songs and changes the lyrics to fit their kid show. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when those kids grow up, they misremember regular songs within the pop culture landscape as songs about cats. <laughs> Does that explain it well? I don't think so. <laughs> In my head, it's so funny. I'm going to be honest. I think you just scrambled my brain. For over 10 years to be listening to this Offspring song and just have the understanding that they were covering a song called Felines. Yeah. That was in a famous musical. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Track number seven, She's Got Issues. Yeah! 
this was the fourth single. I don't remember seeing this one or hearing it on the radio, but... Yeah, this one definitely wasn't as famous as the other three singles. It's good, though. It was very good. We talked about a kind of doppelganger through Weird Al earlier, Keenan. And did you hear what I heard in the intro of this song? Go on. I heard a very similar intro to the car song, Just What I Needed. Wait a minute. Are you being serious right now? Yeah. Actually? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it sounded just like the cars. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And even the way his his voice sounds like... Yeah. It's like a very similar guitar riff. The drums are pretty similar. And you're right. The melody is extremely similar. That's so weird. Yeah, I actually did think that. But I thought it was so funny when I wrote down that note and I was like, oh, this sounds weirdly like the cars, but like, why would you ever pick up on that? I thought there was no way you would have heard the same thing. That's crazy. Oh, no, yeah. I love, I love the cars. Oh, that's cool. We've seen this theme before, Keenan. This girl has got baggage. Yeah. It's awfully reminiscent of Sugar Colt's song, Daddy's Little Defect. That's about a girl with baggage, right? It is. It is. And I'm not talking about luggage, Mike. She's not going on a trip. She's got emotional baggage. <laughs> you hate when your baggage gets lost on a trip. You would love it if, in this case, they could lose their baggage. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think in both cases, the singer just straight up says, like, cut it out. Yeah. Like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Stop. Exactly. Yeah. Pointing out that this person has a lot of flaws and it's like, we're too grown up to be dealing with this type of stuff right now. And I think in this song especially, I get the idea that this guy is coming to the realization that this girl already has so much baggage, and if he sticks around, he's just going to become another piece of her little like chaotic life that she thrives upon. Yeah, for sure. Dexter Holland actually said that the reason he wrote this song was because it feels like today everyone has their issues and nobody wants to take responsibility for them. And they always blame it on their upbringing, their family life, the things going on around them. But they never want to just look at themselves internally and say, oh, how can I fix this? So I think that's totally represented in this song. It's like this person has issues, but they're not finding any ways to change that. Oh, absolutely. That line, I don't know why your whole life is a chore. You know those people where you listen to them talk and just as a third party observer, you're exhausted just having listened to them talk about their life. And it could be guys. I know in this case it's a girl. It could be anybody. But it's just like you want to be able to say to them, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? When people are just complaining nonstop and it's like, obviously, there's a common denominator within all these situations and it's you. So yeah. you got to take a step back and look at that sometimes. Yeah, totally. He also has an issue with their physical relationship, Keenan. References to her saying her ex's name when they're doing the dirty. And also some daddy issues. You told me a hundred times how your father left and he's gone. But I wish he wouldn't call me daddy when we're getting it on. 
Weird, right? Yeah, that's pretty weird and awfully specific, too. It is specific, and I have a bit of an embarrassing story, not related to that line, but something where... Okay. I'll just tell it. I'm intrigued. Hopefully this comes off better than my feline story. Does, yeah, does this involve Sesame Street and uh, the musical Cats? Because if so, I'm in. So as Jack's parents, Abby and I refer to each other as mommy and daddy, that has gone from just when we're talking in front of him to almost constantly. Sounds hot. Go on. We want him to learn that we're mommy and daddy. So it's like, uh-huh. oh, mommy's coming home soon or something like that. So sometimes that happens in places where it's not as appropriate. Abby, my sister-in-law, Janie, and I were playing mini golf in Ocean City this past summer. And at one point I made like either a hole in one or like a really long putt. And Janie said, great putt, daddy. (laughs) And I'm like, maybe don't call me that like in in the middle of Congo Falls mini golf. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like luckily it's like, you know, social distance and all that. So nobody was really around us. But I was like, that could have been super weird, especially because I was not just with Abby and Jack. Yeah, you're with multiple women. Two women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really bad look. Kind of a cool look, but very bad look. Yeah, Mike, that was pretty fly for a white guy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, nothing wrong with, uh, you know, some alternative lifestyles. That's okay, Mike. Yeah. Nothing to be ashamed of. Not for me. Not for me. We get a good kick out of that story. So that wasn't as weird as it sounded, right? (laughs) That was pretty good. There is a music video for this song, and it has a familiar face, Mike. Did you pick that face out? Yeah, I was so proud of myself because... I was pretty excited to see it, too. About halfway through, it was when she's waiting on the train platform. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's... Who is it? Who is it? I saw the bangs. I saw the bangs. I saw the eyes. The eyes do it for me. I know Mm, who it is when I see the eyes. Yeah. Little doe eyes. Let's say it at the same time. You ready? Three, two, one. Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, it was Zoe Deschanel, Mike. Pre-fame, but this was prior to any really big thing she had done. I think Elf was when she really got her start, and that was five or so years after this. Yeah, so she was still trying to make it. I thought that was pretty crazy. So I guess she's the girl with issues, but not really. Like, she doesn't have a ton of... Uh, She's seen cartoons. Everything around her is just a cartoon, basically. I'm not even sure if she's seeing them or if it's like... I guess she is. Oh, I think she's seeing him. I think they're saying that this girl's crazy. She's seeing these delusions around her. Okay. It's an interesting use of live action versus cartoons, and the cartoons are used to illustrate exaggerated versions of all these things in our daily lives. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. It was cool. Yeah, it was a cool video. It reminded me a lot of like, have you ever seen that movie back in the day called Rock-A-Doodle, where it's half cartoon, half live action? Do you know what I'm talking about? With Chanticleer, the rooster. I know what you're talking about, but I I can't tell you. I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay. It reminds me of that. Does it play guitar and wear sunglasses? Is it like an Elvis chicken, essentially? Yeah, it's an Elvis chicken, yeah. Okay. I do remember that, yeah. yeah. That's the movie. Well, it's basically like parts of it are sort of live action, and then it becomes cartoon, and then back to live action, okay. and it feels a lot like that. The difference is the main character- <laughs> you know, rock a doodle. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. The difference is- It's not a crazy girl who's delusional. It's this little kid who's just like in his own imagination, essentially. But for whatever reason, that was like one of my favorite movies back in the day. I kept thinking of that. (laughs) That's awesome. No, I kind of want to watch that, though. It looks. It's really good. I kind of want to rewatch it. It looks like the exact same animation as uh, Fievel. It's very similar, yeah. Cool. It's good. A lot of good tunes in there. 
Track number eight, Walla Walla. That sounds goofy, Mike. What does that mean? Isn't that the Pollywog from Gullah Gullah Island, Keenan? <laughs> I think you're right. I think it is. No. It's Binya Binya. Yeah, that's right. Walla Walla is referencing Walla Walla, Washington, where the Washington State Penitentiary is, Mike. Ah, tourist trap. I always hear about <laughs> the great penitentiary of Walla Walla, Washington. It's very famous, yeah. Yeah, the song is a story song, I guess we could say, about a guy who's in pretty consistent trouble with the law. He's only received slaps on the wrist in the past, but this time, not so lucky, Keenan. He's getting three to five. Yeah, he's going to the clink. The crimes he committed are not, they're not funny, but listen to these details. So he stole a car and he also burglarized an apartment. But here's the kicker. From the apartment, he stole a VCR. I know. Back then, that was like the it technology, Mike. But I was thinking there's been a pretty loud movement to try to overturn any past convictions related to marijuana. Mm. I also would like to make it a point of this podcast that any past VCR convictions also be overturned. Okay. We're going to take that stand. I'm okay with that. So if there's anybody still serving time in Washington state for the stolen VCR back in 98, (laughs) we will fight for you. Yeah. We got your back. God, talk about a dated line. There's so many just dated references in this album. That's just one of them. But to me, this whole song was just so absurd. It almost felt like an adult nursery rhyme. In mm-hmm. weird ways. Like it had this adult theme and these adult concepts. It was almost like trying to explain something. Like it was trying to teach you something in a lot of ways. Nursery Rhymer kind of reminded me of a drinking song a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. It could be that. Like a Dropkick Murphy's Flocking Molly kind of song. Well, yeah. Aren't those songs, aren't those drinking songs just like adult nursery rhymes in many, many ways? Essentially. They're easy to remember. Yeah. And very repetitive. <laughs> yeah. So that's all it is. No, it was funny. I mean, also very cartoon-like song. I got this feeling of like cops and robbers. But I also kept thinking of like the Benny Hill song. You know those scenes where people are like running indoors and then out the other one? and <laughs> Yeah. Some... Wackadoodle-do comedy. <laughs> Rockadoodle? Yeah, you could play that on this dude's stolen VCR, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably like sold millions of copies on yeah. VHS. Track number nine, The End of the Line. Uh-oh, Mike. Fun and games are over. Sad song. Yeah, no, no, no. 
the offspring's death song i think yeah it definitely sounds like it's about somebody close to you or important to you dying and the nature of that death might be one that's a little bit tragic or something that might have been in this person's control that they might have brought upon themselves did you get that same idea yeah i did this was a different type of death song than i think what we're used to it was almost as if there was like unfinished business like there was a fight or a falling out before this happened or yeah like you said there was a mistake that resulted in this death like a suicide or a drunk driving incident or maybe an overdose, something like that. Like, this person wasn't supposed to die. Right. And I guess that leaves the protagonist wondering, could they have done something differently? Do they miss this person but also blame them? Death and grieving, it's a very weird process with a vast amount of emotions involved. So Yeah, it's almost as if the guys in the band don't know how to process those feelings. I do like that this song kind of highlights the unintentional part of human nature that we all have where when situations like death occur we end up kind of thinking about ourselves it's like how is this going to affect me yeah exactly like unintentional and sometimes you feel bad about it but i think there's even a line in this song like what about me right yeah so it's like this person's dead and you're kind of grieving but then you're also selfishly like missing them or mad at them and They've left behind this conflict within you, and it's uh, something you need to address, I guess. Well, that's why I thought maybe there was like some unfinished business, like a falling out within the family. Like he was blaming this person for leaving in this bad way, and now he can't have closure because of that. So yeah, that's definitely the vibe I was getting. Isn't that how ghosts are created, Mike? Yeah, like unfinished business in the mortal world. Yeah, so maybe this song's just about ghosts. Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> Track number 10, No Breaks. First thing I want to point out, and I think I forgot to mention on previous songs, but there are a bunch of songs where they start with like a weird automated intro, like somebody counting or somebody with a quick message. This is one of them. There's a recorded opening, which is a woman that says, thank you. One moment, please. Thank you. One moment, please. This is like the third time they've done that different almost like we're a society that is just dependent on machines or whoa we're robotic as human beings oh my god mike what an astute observation deep enough for you (laughs) yeah i'll take that that aside another really raw punk song yeah this song's pretty badass musically it is yeah lyrically i never really well, the opening line, lay awake, I don't give a shit. It's always been a pretty funny line. <laughs> yeah, true. Like, just to start off the album, lay awake, I don't give a shit. Is this another band that talks about not being able to sleep? Because that would be very eerie, if that's the case. <laughs> it's even worse than that, Keenan. It's about oh, no. not being able to sleep and also being constipated. No, it's not. No, it's lay awake, I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> You're done. You're canceled for that. This song just made me feel very anxious. Like, to me, it felt like he was describing that feeling when you've had too much caffeine and it becomes like a caffeine-induced anxiety. Yeah, I hate that. And you can't turn your brain off. You're just thinking a mile a minute. You just have to wait for it to go away, too. Yeah. That's what I got out of this song. So I liked it, but I also hated it because of that. Yeah. I had the high-energy coffee at 7-Eleven once, and like half an hour later, I was in a bathroom thinking I was going to have a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't do anything except just wait for it to stop. It was very frustrating. I've definitely been there before. Yeah, I love the coffees that are like jet engine fuel or like high octane. Yeah. I like this. Look death in the face. (laughs) Yeah. I always go for those because YOLO, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I got the same anxious feeling. This reminded me of a person that was just in the middle of chaos and so apathetic about what was to happen. Like whatever like destruction or despair they were going to cause, they didn't care anymore. They were just completely done. Yeah. Like there's that line, when you snap, they say before you never show it. So it just sounds like this person that's on the edge of something and it's nothing good. Yeah. They have no breaks. They're out of control. There's no stopping them, which is how you are when you drink the uh, 7-Eleven extra caffeine coffee. I'm ready to run through a fucking wall, Keenan. <laughs> it's intense. I love it. Oh, I do also have a doppelganger for this song, Mike. There's a Sum 41 song called Welcome to Hell, which was on their album Chuck. It's also equally as upbeat, equally as intense, and has very similar guitar riffs to it. And I know that song a lot better, so every time I hear this song, I automatically think of the Sum 41 song. Track number 11, Why Don't You Get a Job? It's what I think about you all the time, Mike. This is a really different type of song on the album, Mike. Not a raw punk song, but for whatever reason, this is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it was the third single. Actually, I still hear this one a ton on the radio. It's always on, yeah. If we're talking about like some of their most popular songs, you're right, though. It doesn't really follow the same musical setup as these other songs. It's like almost like a, a Caribbean song. There's like some steel drums or something in it. And I think we probably hear the same doppelganger for this one, too. Am I right? I think everybody's heard this doppelganger. I think this one is pretty widespread. It's all over the internet. I love the Beatles. And so when I first heard the song, I'm like, this just sounds exactly like Obla Di Obla Da from the White Album. And then I realized that everybody else already said the exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not even just a certain part. It's just the entire song just resembles the Beatles song. It's interesting. I like both those songs, but they had to be somewhat intentional, right? I would guess so. It's just such a strange doppelganger because usually our doppelgangers are just 
other pop punk bands or other alternative bands. This one is like, okay, doppelganger for the Beatles. That's left field, but totally true. does kind of relate because obla di obla da is kind of a really different song on the white album like a lot of those songs are darker in nature and that is just like this really upbeat like silly song and this one's kind of similar it's like it's definitely happier than some other songs at least in the way it sounds and what it's about isn't necessarily awful it's just complaining about your significant other yeah it's a one-sided relationship where you make all the money, she takes all the money, or vice versa. And that's really it, I think, right? Yeah, I was trying to think if there was more to it, but it's like they really just want them to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> They're tired of fronting for all the bills. Yeah, and more broadly, it's like, okay, carry your weight in this relationship. It did remind me of like when I complain about Abby to people, and I really only give my side of the story. Yeah, true. I've heard that side of the story many times. Yeah, she's the worst, right? <laughs> But there's always, like, two sides of the story. But in this case, both sides need to get a job. Totally. Yep. Music video also just tells that story, right? From both perspectives, the guys and the girls. Yeah, it shows the frustration of just the person you're with just sitting on the couch yeah. doing nothing. I do love, though, that the guys in the band in the song, they're just essentially parading around this town. And they're just accumulating more people behind them. And it becomes this huge parade by the end. And it reminded me of that scene from The Music Man where I think it's the 76 trombones theme where they're just parading through the town and people are just jumping in with them and celebrating. I think you buried the lead there, Keenan. Not only are they marching around town with people following along, but the video starts out with Dexter Holland flying in on a hang glider. Oh, yeah. That's for right. no reason whatsoever. Because it's cool. And then he just he just begins walking. But that just made me laugh so hard. I'm like, what? Because like, it's so punk rock. Yeah. What a great start to the video. And I think the video is actually filmed on the Universal backlot because there are a couple different sets that they walk through that are very familiar. One in particular, they walk through Courthouse Square from the Back to the Future film series. I thought I recognized that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, that's Back to the Future. It, like, it has to be. And it was. And then I was thinking... So do they just leave that in place forever? Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It seems like they do, I guess. I guess Universal Hollywood, they do all, like, the tours and stuff, so they constantly have people visiting it. But pretty interesting, because it's just like, oh, that's Back to the Future. And Wait, there's the offspring. Did they go through the Music Man set? Because that would explain a lot to me right now. Ooh, I don't know. But that would be interesting. I want to look that up. Now I need to know. Because it felt like that. It was a fun music video. And then at the end, they just explode everything. And the white guy shows up again. He does show up at the very end. Yeah, and he gives like a goofy white guy wave. Yeah, he rolls in in his uh, Pinto or whatever it is and, yeah, makes a little appearance. Track number 12, the namesake of the album, Mike, Americana.
right away I thought this song had a very AFI sound to it. I was getting AFI vibes. Or AF vibes. Ooh, I, I like that. <laughs> Clever. You want to know something kind of cool though, Mike? This is just a weird coincidence. I was hearing AFI in the song, and then I was looking at Wikipedia, just reading about this album, and it turns out that Davey Havoc, the lead singer of AFI, actually sang backup vocals on Pretty Fly for a White Guy. How random is that? Wow. That is random. The song itself is a pretty cynical view of the American dream. <laughs> More like the American nightmare, Mike. Am I right? Ah! <laughs> By this point in the album, you really get the sense that these guys are pretty down on America during that time. If you couldn't pick up on the thinly veiled themes before, this one pretty much comes right out and says it. It's commentary on the American culture, the belief that we as American people are distracted by these superficial things and as individuals, Keenan, don't have a ton of control over what's happening in the world and therefore can't really bring about any real substantial change. Pretty pessimistic. They dive pretty heavily into politics in this one. They use the lines, my rights are denied by those least qualified trading profit for pride, but it's okay. Yes, that one made me think like, oh, that's a good line. And my future is determined by thieves, thugs, and vermin. Yeah, that's another one. Like the second song on this album, these thieves, these people that have cheated to get ahead are now running everything and they don't care what effect it has on the little guy. It's just these politicians, corporations, conglomerates that are only in it for the bottom line. I think they do a good job, too, of just portraying this fact that like the album's called Americana, the song's called Americana, and in my mind at least, I always think of Americana as like the kitschy kind of like stuff you might find in a cracker barrel, you know? Yeah. Like old Coca-Cola signs. Like yep. these nice relics of the past that remind us like America's awesome and isn't this cool? When in reality it's kind of we have this twenty twenty vision of the past where everything was perfect and that movie, Pleasantville. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah. It is like that. You're right. Yeah. You just think of like the 1950s family where like everything's perfect. But right, exactly. that movie, it's like they start to chip away at this perfect exterior and really show the true like inner feelings of people. And it's not all this uh, rainbows and butterflies kind of stuff. Yeah. I just think it's funny how, like, we always blame the other generations for what's wrong, which I think they're doing, too. They're blaming this older generation, which has all the politicians, for ruining the American dream and ruining American culture. Like, look at us. Like, we look at the older generation. We're like, they're the reason that we're in this terrible place right now. And then we look at the younger generation. We're like, oh, they all suck. Like, there's no hope for us if they're the future. They're yeah. stupid. It's kind of funny. Like, we are the best generation, in my mind. That's true. I mean... The boomers did cause all of this, Keenan. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, they really did. Yeah, well, the boomers probably think that, well, who are the ones before them? I have seen a lot of millennial versus Gen Z wars going on in the interwebs recently. Yeah, it's huge. There's a lot of people getting offended that Gen Zers think millennials are lame or wear stupid clothing. We're not lame. Or... Look at us. We make pop punk podcasts. We're cool. I know. I don't... I think I am I think I am lame though. Yeah, you're lame. Yeah. We're not the dopest trip we think we are. Track number 13, Pay the Man. Time and time, watch the way of the world. 
This one comes a little bit from left field. Yeah, I noticed it's much longer than a lot of the songs we talk about. It was eight minutes long. It's very long, and it's also like two different songs in one. Yeah, the intro is almost like like a snake charmer kind of song. Yeah, it's really psychedelic. Like doodle doodle do, like almost like an Aladdin kind of song. Yeah, it's like something you would hear in a hookah bar. Like a hookah bar, but I also thought it would be a great theme song for the Super Mario 64 desert level. Oh, yeah. Thought it were, would <laughs> yeah. work really well there, too. That would be good. Maybe they just stole it from that. Is that the doppelganger this week? Super Mario desert level? Yeah, that's our 17th doppelganger this week. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot. A lot of weird ones, too. But you're right. Then it completely shifts into just a rock song, right? Like, not even, like punk just more like classic rock i guess or modern rock i don't even know i thought it was like a good old-fashioned old-school hard rock song like something you might hear led zeppelin make Oh, that's a good example. Yeah. How different is that? Like hookah bar music to Led Zeppelin. I don't know. It was a fun transition. It works though. I guess if you give yourself eight minutes, you're able to to pull it off. Yeah, that's true. In terms of the theme, it's not ending the album on a happy note though, Keenan. Kind of just drives what they already talked about, drives it home. Yeah. Shut up and pay the man. Basically in life, <laughs> there's always something holding you back. There's always something that you owe. Look at you and your struggle for freedom, but you ain't nothing. We all pay the man for living. Wouldn't it be nice for a change now to be unchained? Promising, perhaps, Keenan, but... All we want is freedom, Mike, but can never get it. Sucks, man. I really don't like how this album makes me, like, overanalyze my day-to-day life. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Mike, you need to get rid of those chains. Stop paying the man. You're paying the man too much. This kind of reminded me of the Newfound Glory song, like the No News is Good News. Oh, yeah, it's true. Where they think about how we don't have like control over anything and we're just like robotic, obsessed with materialistic things. But at least in the Newfound Glory album, they had a more hopeful song to end it. And this yeah. one is just like, it ends. And I'm like, oh. Although they do have a pretty fly for a white guy reprise, which is very jazzy and like a New Orleans style with trumpets. Yeah, it was kind of cool. But, you know, in terms of the official album, yeah, this is it. I think it was appropriate that this album actually ended on this note, Mike, because clearly they feel one very specific way about America in 1998. The American dream is not real. The culture's in a bad place. And we're kind of all doomed, essentially. They don't really see a whole lot of hope for us in the future. It's not something where you end it and it's like, Oh, right. Let's go out and fight the power, you know? <laughs> yeah. You just kind of are like, okay, well, I guess I better uh, go back inside and just keep any radical thoughts to myself. And all the girlies say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis.
you can actually draw a parallel from each of these songs to something that Dexter Holland was actually experiencing. He was seeing these people around him in his hometown. He was seeing these people around him when he was traveling. He was actually viewing these things on TV and he was like, oh, there is something definitely wrong here. So I do like that there are real world examples of why he thinks America is in the place that it is. Definitely. I guess what really frustrated me the most is this album is from 1998 and there's still a ton of themes on it that are very relatable 23 years later yeah that's really true and that was just probably the most discouraging thing of all because this past week i watched this bbc documentary it's called can't get you out of my head it's directed by adam curtis it's really good it's like six parts eight hours long and i would just kind of watch it at night before bed but it essentially follows the same theme of this album that it covers like the 20th century up until now and where we're kind of repeating ourselves in terms of a country and a culture and oh really so we're devolving in a way yeah kind of i think it's worth a watch if you have the time i don't know it was just really weird because i'm like i kept hearing parts of these songs i'm like that reminds me of what i and the the documentary is eight hours long oh my god did you watch the whole thing yeah over the course of like the last week and a half oh okay wow yeah it was just weird to me how this still coincided and pretty much I don't want to like spoil the documentary, but the conclusion it kind of comes to is like, I don't know. He examines all this stuff and there's no clear answer as to where like our culture will go or what's next, especially with lockdown. I think people have had the opportunity to really analyze more than they usually do. You think I can just do everything at home and spend time with my family and not have to commute every day i don't know certain things like that people are starting to think about like why do we do things this way it's like well it's the way it's always been done but then it's like why that's kind of how this album made me feel and that's how that documentary made me feel i didn't expect this album to make me do much thinking but it did is that a testament to the band i suppose yeah or just i need to do more than just listen to pop punk albums and watch eight hour documentaries no 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 that's not the answer mike Hey, that's something everyone can enjoy. Well, on that fun, happy note, Mike, now that we've talked about all the imperfections of our great country, (laughs) let's move on to something a little more fun. Next week, we'll be joined by a special guest and friend of the show to discuss the Starting Lines album, Say It Like You Mean It. Ooh, that's a good one, Keenan. It's a really good one. It's actually one that people have requested we do for a long time now. Since season one, people have asked us to do this one. And we're just waiting for the right time. Got a really cool guest lineup. Should be a lot of fun. I guess we could say it's a friend of the show and also our big contest winner from season one. That's right, yeah. The big Instagram guess the guest contest from the kev meta knuckle puck episode it'll also be historic in the sense that it'll be the first 
woman host of the pop punk project ever. Whoa, that's true. Good tease, Mike. Isn't that exciting? Very exciting. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a, you know, a female voice on here for once. I'm kind of getting sick of our voices, to be honest. I know. It's awful. Stupid, ugly voices. <laughs> to match our stupid, ugly mugs. Until then, Pop Punk Posse, hit us up online, poppunkproj at gmail.com, Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject, and patreon.com slash poppunkproject. Mike, we should mention that our Twitter is starting to blow up a little bit. We are getting some responses, some retweets from uh, some of these artists that we're covering. Yeah, at least one, Keenan. It was pretty crazy. Sugar Colt actually responded to our episode post about their album Start Static, and that was pretty cool. They actually dropped a little bit of insider information we didn't know about that album. So we posted that on our Instagram, and obviously it's on our Twitter as well. So check it out. Fun stuff, Mike. We love you all. We love America. And we hope you have the time of your lives. Good riddance.